Well, welcome everybody. If you're tuning in now to A Minor Detail Podcast, this is the first podcast post-2020 presidential election. It's exciting. I'm excited. I'm excited to have my friend, Paul Schwartz. Before I get into his bio things, you can watch this live on A Minor Detail or Facebook.com slash A Minor Detail. My apologies. My brain is fried today. I told Paul, I was like, I haven't gotten a whole lot of sleep. I've been tuning into the election. We were supposed to do this last night. My, I lost my voice. I had a big cigar on Saturday night uh, in the uh, announcement that Joe Biden had has become the 46th president of the United States. He's the president-elect. That's why I'm a little scatterbrained in the last couple of days. But nonetheless, I'm here tonight to talk to my friend, fellow Montgomery Countyan, Paul Schwartz, who knows a thing or two about the White House. We've had him on a couple of different times. This is our third time doing an interview together. And I'm excited because Paul has such an inside track to the White House. He understands Donald Trump's psyche to the best that anyone can understand it and these days who who the hell knows what's going on with this guy paul that's a lot about me <laughs> paul is a are you still writing for the sentinel or who yeah, the sentinel is now uh on uh has a, its website so it doesn't come out with the weekly card newspaper anymore but i contribute to the uh to the website so I've tr- i still try to uh, stay up on all these issues. Well, welcome, Paul. And I'm glad to have you to talk about this crazy, crazy election cycle that we've had over the last, what, year, two years, three? I mean, it really started the day after he was elected. It started down the escalator in 2015. <laughs> Let me just get your initial reaction to former Vice President Joe Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., becoming the 46th president of the United States, now designated as the president-elect. And it wasn't the media who called this election. It was the algorithms and the data scientists that you don't see at the networks who build these tremendously complex algorithms. And they run through the statistical probability of Donald Trump being able to offset the number of votes Joe Biden has in the states, and that's how they determine the elections. It's not the media. It's not Wolf Blitzer or John King or Steve Kornacki or uh, uh, anybody else from NBC or Fox making these election predictions. This is scientific. This is science. This is math, and this is data, and it's an algorithm used. So to clear the air before we even get started, this election was called not by the media, but by the mathematical improbability that Donald Trump cannot win the American presidency for a second term by people who are a whole lot smarter than I am. Paul, well, all right. <laughs> keep, keep in mind that this whole, all these machinations with, with Trump has nothing to do about overturning the election. The election was run, the, the counts have been done the same way that they did it in four years ago and eight years ago and 12 years ago, etc. This is all about him not being able to admit that he's a, as Jim Carrey said, a <laughs> loser. And so uh, he's trying to co- at least come up with an ex- uh, excuse for why he's he lost. And it, so he blames it on the rigging and all this other nonsense. But that he's not they don't expect him to to overturn anything. They have they have no basis for that. The only thing that they have is now an excuse where he's going to say they stole it from me. And that's all that's, that is. But the, the key thing is Joe Biden 
was right when he said this election was about who we are as a country. And even though there'll be challenges ahead, the bottom line is that doing this four years after Trump's initial election is a hell of a lot better than to do it eight years by giving him another four years. So that's what this election was about. This election was about uh, the Constitution. It was about uh, the the, uh, uh, democracy. It was about the rule of law. And it was about the uh, government institutions and protecting those. And it's about all of that. So it wasn't just about having one decent guy beat an indecent guy. All right. Having one guy with experience defeat one guy who clearly never gained any experience. It's about so much more. And to do it after four years, as bad as that was the last four years, a hell of a lot better to do it then than to wait eight years, because I don't know if we would be able to overcome what occurred if it was eight years, it would have been insurmountable. It wouldn't have been able to be done in my lifetime. It may not have been able to be overturned in your lifetime. Yeah, I I agree. This was not a Republican versus Democrat election. This had nothing to do with where we fall on the political spectrum. This had everything to do with the moral fiber of this country and the 60 or 70 million supporters of Donald Trump is horrifying. I'm sorry. It is horrifying. And I am not at the point where I am ready to forgive and forget and to unify because of this abject damage that they have done to our country, his enablers, his supporters, the Republican allies. Again, nothing to do with actual policies. I would have loved to talk about tax policy. I would have loved to talk more about health care and climate change and issues that matter. This had everything to do to defining who our moral character is as a nation. Paul, you you saw this guy for years up close and personal. You were at the White House during his time there. You know who he is. We know who he is as a country. His supporters even will admit privately they knew who he they know who he is his character and they don't give a damn and and for me i'm sorry that i cannot abide you know who he is the the thing is you know going back to uh the election uh it's it's amazing that i guess only democrats could have uh rigged an election to steal the presidency (laughs) but not steal all the senators that we thought we were going to get or or the or the house seats that we lost and it's like going into a jewelry store and stealing the diamond bracelets, but leaving the diamond necklaces. I mean, it makes no sense. And that's why I say they, they don't really believe this stuff, except, you know, this is the key. And uh, knowing where the election is going to go, it was easy for most of the pundits to say, well, yeah, Biden is going to be able to get back the three Midwest states, you know, well, Pennsylvania, uh Wisconsin and Michigan, and that would give them the election. And that's the way it did turn turn out to be. Uh, and also, if you look back at 2018, you saw what the turnout was. And that turnout was as much against Trump as, as anything. So, but what I didn't get was what I didn't anticipate was I expected him to, to Biden to win because he turned those three blue, uh, uh, blue states back to blue. What I didn't expect is that the, the amount of people for Trump 
would have been so energized to come out. I thought this was going to be a mandate against Trump. It was a mandate for getting him out. Yes, for the 76,000, uh, 76 million who voted uh, for Biden. But the 71 million who voted for Trump, I didn't see that coming because that's like, I think that was like 8 million more than he got four years ago. So the, the ch uh, challenge is not just about what do you do with Trumpsters to get them to understand? Because you can't put them all in one basket. Yes, the old saying is that if you're a racist, then you uh, you vote for Trump. You don't have to be a, a racist to vote for Trump, but if you are, you vote for Trump. But in that, there's not just one basket, all right? You have to look at all those that comprised the, uh, the 71 million. And that included... Uh, people who were afraid that their guns are going to be taken away. That included immigrants who were resentful if other immigrants would come in more easily than they had to, they had to go through. It's uh, Jews who believed that Trump was good for Israel, even though I will never understand how moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem somehow makes uh, Israel safer. So you have a whole combination of things, plus you have the cult following. So it's, there's no one solution to getting people to understand what you have to do and what they're going to have to do in Georgia for those two Senate seats is make the case for the issues, not a not allow the Republicans to keep throwing these labels at saying our Democrats are socialists and without backing it up. I guarantee you that nobody who uses the throws the label socialist at the Democrats understands what socialism is. Socialism is when the government controls both production and distribution. That is not what you have here. What you have is government does spend tax money, but that's not socialism. That's the police department, the fire department, that's social security, that's Medicare. That's not uh, socialism. And yet we always allow, we started with uh, the swift voting in 2004, that we allowed the uh, election to all of a sudden be about swift voting. In 2016, it was about emails. And this year, it seemed that uh, Trump had, his, his plans were to use socialism against Bernie Sanders. And then lo and behold, Sa Sanders didn't win the, the nomination and, and Biden did, but he wasn't going to waste it. So he used socialism against uh, a Biden and Kamala Harris, which is ridiculous. So bottom line is we have to make sure that we hold whoever we're running against, whether it's in Georgia in, uh, on January 5th or whether it's down the road in 2022 or 2024, we have to hold them to the issues. Those Trumpsters, the question has to be posed, do you want your kids to be at risk when they go to school or do you feel that maybe background checks is a good idea? And work on the issues, not just on the personalities, which this came down to because Trump is such an outlandish personality. Uh, I agree. But you're speaking logically. You're speaking <laughs> how I right. would interpret reality. Most of us who are able to discern between fact and fiction understand precisely what you are saying, Paul. 71 million other people who went to the ballot box either believe the bullshit that he's pushing out or that it's – you'll hear from Republicans 
I just can't vote for Joe Biden because he's a socialist. Well, that's not true. It's nonsensical to say that. Or they really believe that Donald Trump put our country back onto the map when it was the former president's economy that he piggybacked off of. Why are we still at this point? Why do I feel so insecure right now, even after Joe Biden has been elected president? This guy is out here spewing lie after lie. He's putting up the former mayor of New York City, who's nothing more than a two-bit dime store hack. They can't even get a press conference right. They, we know that they were supposed to do this at the Four Seasons. It turns out that they were, I mean, how apropos is it? That they, they end up in the parking lot of a landscaping company next to a porn shop and a crematorium in South Philly. Come well, on. The strategy, the strategy has to be not to try to get 71 million Americans to understand what we understand. The, the tactic has to be there are certain cult members who you're never going to get. But that's not 71 million people. All right. Well, we have to uh, be able to show what Biden has to be able to show over the next four years is that, you know what, for the Jew vote, Jewish vote, he is a friend of Israel. Mm -hmm. All right. For the immigrant vote, he has to be able to show that there is a reasonable, logical pathway to uh, citizenship that doesn't violate what was, you know, the the Cuban vote in uh, South Florida, they they uh, wrote Biden off as a socialist. Why? Because Obama opened up relations with Cuba. All right. What what we had to do is make sure they understand that that doesn't take away from them. When you, regardless of whether you're a Cuban Latino or a Puerto Rican Latino or or a, uh, a Mexican Latino, Trump looked down at you the same way. All right. He called Haiti the shithole country. He didn't call Norway a shithole country. Right. So it's all about communication. You know, the the strategy that uh, they use, not just for the presidential uh, uh, run, but also in the uh, House seats and the Senate seats, they would uh, go off on, on Pelosi. They would attack Pelosi. So even though somebody, a Spanish burger, was, was running in Virginia, mm -hmm. they would attack her as uh, being a pawn of Pelosi. Well, we have to do that. When, especially like in the Georgia elections in, on January 5th, to attack McConnell, because McConnell is the one that's holding up all kinds of progress. So we have to start forgetting about Trump. He's he's going to be in the past. But what do we have to do? What do the Democrats have to do to get things yeah. done? Well, and I that's wanna, where the focus has to be. Based on and, your... And if you do that over the four years, uh, uh, you know, well, the other thing is that you don't know if uh, Trump will be around because... If he was smart, which he's not, he would go away gracefully now, and that would minimize the chances of the new attorney general going after him, all right, post-election. Remember, Mueller said uh, he had to follow the Office of Legal Counsel in the Department of Justice. Their policy was you can't indict a sitting president. Well, the assumption now is since you're not a sitting president anymore, you can be indicted. If he went along peacefully, the I would think that the uh, Biden administration would not want to pursue putting him in jail. He may still go to jail because of state charges, but at least from a federal standpoint, if you want to really pull the country together and narrow the divide that four years have has created, 
if you wanted to do that, uh, you wouldn't go after a, the past president. But if he doesn't sh- cut down on the rhetoric and does to Biden what he did to Obama with the birther nonsense, he may give the new administration no choice. But the only way to shut him up is to go after him and put him on you know, on trial. So we'll see how all this plays out. I, but we, we bottom line we, is this has to be in the uh, Trump has to be in the past, and we have to focus on on getting the Senate. Well, look again. You're watching and listening to this podcast. Joe Biden is the 46th president of the United States. There is not a single iota of evidence to suggest any election fraud whatsoever. And if you are repeating that claim, if you fundamentally believe that claim, then show us the evidence because I have seen none. Paul, he did this prior to this election. He said it would happen in 2016 if he lost. He said, if I lose, it's going to be rigged. He did it to Ted Cruz in Iowa four years ago. Remember, he won the Iowa caucuses. He said clearly there was voter fraud. He said when he lost the popular vote, well, there was voter fraud in New Hampshire. This is someone who has a deficit with the truth, who is so fundamentally corrupt, and it is now. It used to be funny before he had any power. I always thought it was kind of humorous. Okay, we used to not care what he thought, but he was a peripheral figure. Now he ascended to the op- the highest office in the country with the help of foreign interference, whom he asked again to help dig up dirt on his political opponent during this election. He knew that he would lose to Joe Biden because Joe Biden is far from a liberal. He's a pretty centrist guy. He's a centrist. And he always has been. And he's been that way for 47 years. The, the key to remember, though, is that 76 million people uh, still voted for yeah. Biden. They came out and voted. That, we had almost 150 million uh, uh, people come out to vote. Last time in 2016, it was like under 130 million. So we did, uh, as far as getting the vote out, people came out in droves. They're dancing in the streets in New York, in Atlanta, in, in, uh, down by Farragut uh, Plaza. They're dancing in the streets. So uh, <laughs> they wanted to see Trump go. The, the challenge is going to be, as, as Biden recognizes, in narrowing that divide that Trump created, you have to reach out and understand some of the reasons why the 71 million, not all of them, but at least some of them, why they voted that way. There are some that are lost causes, but there are others where you have to really recognize what their concerns were and correct their misunderstanding. And that I think we all the Democrats have to have to do. They have to do a better job of uh, explaining the issues and why we're uh, better at addressing them than just the Republicans throwing these labels that seem to stick and we should not allow them to stick. Yeah. That's the thing. We take we do too much allowing it to stick. Whether it was like you said, when 2004, swift voting, something that never happened, but if it did, it happened 40 years before the election, that becomes the election issue. So we have to do a better a job of that. And we blew it in, in 2016 with the emails and uh, we we didn't blow it this time because you know what? Too much Biden was at stake. was the perfect candidate to run against Trump because all the stuff that was thrown, most of it w- w- couldn't stick. All right. Some of it, it, it seemed to have stuck with some of those 71 million, 
but most of it did not stick. I was going to ask you about that. Are you surprised by how much that didn't stick to Joe Biden? First, it was the Tara Reid allegations. She proved to be absolutely non not credible. She did the interview with Megyn Kelly, which I don't know what the hell happened to Megyn Kelly. I guess she's desperate. She's got a lot of money that she separated with from NBC. Maybe she's looking for a media gig. Who knows? With Fox. Well, I'm, I'm not surprised at all because Joe Biden has been around uh, since 1972 in Congress and then in, in the White House. And so people know him. Four years ago with Hillary, a, a lot of it stuck because whether justified or not, mm -hmm. she was not liked by many. Yeah. I don't think it was justified because I thought she was a great candidate. But that goes without saying with Biden, people knew him. I, and that's the reason, I, again, why I say that he was the perfect candidate, because the perfect candidate is the one that could start, uh, you know, uh, get on the ground running from the very beginning and uh, undo what he's already started to do. He said the first day in office, he's undoing the uh, DACA executive order, uh, the Muslim ban. He's getting back into the uh, Paris Climate Accord. He's re uh, getting back with WHO. He's reversing. There were over 100 uh, regulations that dealt with the environment uh, and, pu and public safety that Trump, with his uh, executive orders, eliminated. So Biden, from day one, January 20th on, he knows what has to be done. He has to undo the undoing that Trump did to the Obama administration, at least as a start. So he knows what he has to do. He has credibility. And what I'm hoping for and expecting is that he, based on his experience, could be another LBJ. I'm not talking about Vietnam. I'm talking about the fact that LBJ was in Congress for so long and had so many relationships. He was able to get legislation done that was a challenge even for JFK. Right. The Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, Medicare, that was all under LBJ. I'm hoping that Biden is able to do that. Now, if Georgia becomes Democrat, both of those seats go as Democrats, then we have the majority in, in the Senate becomes the road becomes a lot easier. But even if we don't and the chance of it happening are slim. But even if we don't get that seat, you're going to you're talking about uh McConnell having to control uh, the defection of only two senators because uh, the two would give would be uh, uh, 50, which would go then to the uh, uh, to, to uh, Harris as yeah. a tiebreaker. If he lost two of his senators, if it's 52, 48, two right now, it was four. So when you talk about Murkowski and Susan Collins and uh, Romney and maybe Ben Sass. You have wiggle room. So McConnell will have to satisfy some like with Susan Collins. She has been on the record that she for Roe v. Wade. Well, you can't afford to lose two of them. So McConnell has to be a little bit more uh, compromising than he has been in the past. Keep in mind that with Obama, because he's a racist from Kentucky, he uh, wanted to keep Obama as a one term president. Well, now. He's dealing with Biden, which I don't even know if Biden's going to run his second term, but if he, whether he doesn't, doesn't. McConnell already got his six uh, uh, seats in the uh, Supreme Court. So what does he really need? He needs to keep his caucus together. And that's going to be more of a challenge when it's for only two defections that he can afford rather than 
four. Well, and if you're just tuning in now, I have columnist Paul Schwartz. He covers the Trump administration, has been at the White House many, many times in the press briefing room. It cannot go, we cannot go tonight without thoroughly celebrating Kamala Harris's victory as the first female, first Asian American, first African American in the history of this country to be elected to the vice presidency, which places her in the forefront of the party's nomination, whether it's in four years or eight years, whatever happens, Kamala Harris is the future of the Democratic Party. And notwithstanding any politics, this is such an important and critical moment in our country's history. And it is so sickening that we can't fully yet celebrate that, Paul, because we have... We're celebrating. It's I, a done deal. I know it's a done deal, but... <laughs> But there's still half of the country that still think that Biden did not win or that there was voter fraud. There's people talking tonight, just tonight, that they're looking at that website that you've probably heard of called Real Clear Politics. They're saying that Real Clear Politics rescinded the Pennsylvania uh, result. It's nonsense. And what difference does it make? Well, it know? doesn't because they get sworn in on January 20th. When John Roberts swears him in on January 20th, there will be no looking back. But I just what you mentioned about Kamala Harris. Yeah. I just yeah. want to mention uh, I became a big fan of hers when uh, Jeff Sessions was uh, testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And uh, she, as a member, asked some questions. And he as a, a Trump cabinet member, didn't answer the question. He answered his question. He didn't answer her question. And she was relentless. She wouldn't, wouldn't let him off the hook. And finally, in front of the whole committee, as well as the press, as well as the public, he said to her, you're making me nervous. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. She made him nervous by asking him questions and not letting him get away without answering her question. And then she was did a similar job with Bill Barr with the uh, issue of suggest. Remember this, the definition of the word suggest? Yeah, I remember that. Uh, she's, she was really, really – and then Kavanaugh as well. So I really became a fan of hers. And I thought she was the perfect uh, balance to Biden. She's a lot more fiery. But he is experienced. And if there's one thing we learned from Donald Trump during the four years he was president, I emphasize the word was, is that experience matters, you know, and decency matters. Do you know who I kept on thinking when uh, they threw questions at my, my friend Brian Karam uh, <laughs> yeah. threw that question at Trump the other day as, as Trump was leaving. Great threw report. A question about uh, delusional, when you're going to be honest with the people. But the question I would like to have thrown is the one from Joseph Welch to uh, Joe McCarthy, Joseph McCarthy. And have I'm not you, talking about the former Yankee manager. Have you I'm no decency? Former Wisconsin senator. And uh, he said, what did he say? He says, have you no decency, sir? And that's the question that really needs to be posed to uh, about to the Trump voters about Trump, because he has no decency. Everything he does is about himself, how it reflects on him, how it impacts 
him, not the country, not the party, not not his kids, not anyone, but himself. And if you vote for him, that's who you voted for. You know, if you voted for him, like I said, just because you voted for him doesn't mean you're a racist. But clearly, if you were a racist or are a racist, you voted for Trump. If you're a misogynist, you voted for Trump. If you're a xenophobe, you voted for Trump. You didn't vote for Biden. And so we've got to crack that 71, at least to those who did it for, for good reasons in their minds. You know, like I said, while you're really afraid that Obama was going to come take your gun away, well, he never did. So maybe we can come to some kind of, of compromise, some, something, some middle ground, some common ground where we can come up with some reasonable gun control, gun safety legislation that everyone can, could abide by. And the ones who have to put pressure on McConnell are the Republican senators. I'm not talking about Ted Cruz. I'm not talking about Lindsey Graham. All right. And, and John McCain is looking down and he's, his thumb is finally up not down. But I'm talking about some who have constituents who care about safety of their kids going to school, who care about a, a, a public option on uh, health care so that the premiums are brought down. I'm not saying uh, eliminate private uh, sector insurance companies, uh, health care ins uh, insurance companies. I'm saying at least provide a public option that will bring the, uh, uh, the uh, premiums down. So there's room for common ground, uh, but there needs to be pressure on McConnell by his own caucus in order for him to, you know, the first thing that uh, uh, Congress, that the House of Representatives did when they took over the majority was they, they passed H.R. 1. H.R. 1 was uh, sponsored by Maryland, Montgomery County's own John Sarbanes. And what did it include? It included uh, addressing voter suppression, and voting rights, and uh, campaign finance reform, and ethics in government. These are all good things that at least if it didn't stay on Mitch McConnell's desk, they could discuss it on the floor of the Senate and maybe come to some kind of compromise with the House. So at least we get something out of uh, that benefits ethics in government and voting rights and uh, the like. But the pressure has to be on McConnell to let that stuff go if we don't get Georgia. Yeah. The two Senate seats. Well, it's unlikely that we'll get both of them. We could get one of them. I don't know which one we'll get. Maybe the Warnock seat. It looks like that might be more promising. Ossoff, who knows? I don't know. I am thinking about today. On Saturday, when they called the election, it was a very exciting moment. Biden, I think, made the best speech of his life when he came out in Wilmington that night to speak before the crowd. I am confident. Now that he has a task force in place, Biden is acting like a president. He is acting like the president-elect. There's an established website. Look, this you're right. This is a done deal. This is it. Donald Trump is, what did Anderson Cooper say the other night? He's flailing like an obese turtle on his back. Paul. You've seen him up close and personal. What's his psyche like right now? What is he going through? Is it agonizing for him? What is going on in this guy's head? What what the hell is he thinking in the White House? Is he like Nixon in the final hours where he's pacing back and forth and just the, the walls are caving in? I guess they could be because he knows very well 
on January the 20th at 12.01 p.m., he becomes a criminal defendant. Right. The, the thing, uh, as far as the site goes, his, his niece, uh, Mary Trump, yeah. she, co- she covers it uh, yeah, quite well. This is a guy who was always saved, whether it was from his, his father or was sell, uh, saved, you know, as far as his bankruptcies. When he started going under in uh, Atlantic City, because the great businessman put three casinos, three Trump casinos right next to each other and didn't realize he was competing with himself. So when he started going bankrupt, it was his father who, who saved him. When he couldn't get uh, bank loans from American uh, companies, he was able to get from Deutsche Bank or he was able to get from uh, Russian oligarchs. So there was always some someone there to bail him out. Even with the impeachment, they bailed him out. The, the Senate majority bailed him out. Right now, there's no one to bail him out. He lost the election. And he has to deal with the fact that the one thing that he doesn't ever want to admit to is that he's a loser. <laughs> and this is what he is uh, just, it's, it's, I'm sure it's killing him. And if, if he, I wouldn't be surprised if it does kill him. But right now, that's what he's dealing with. How to get out of there without admitting that he lost. <laughs> and there's no way to do it. Because you know why? He lost. He lost. He lost. He lost. He's, I think Biden could very well end up with 306 electoral votes, which would be hilariously and poetic. Uh, it poetic. would poetic what, justice. Poetic justice, the same number that Donald Trump defeated. Interesting that when uh, uh, when Trump got the 306, it was a landslide. Landslide. Now it's rigged, uh, it, you know, and it's a, it's a it's too close to call. But the thing to remember also is that what Biden had to do in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He had to reverse it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a, a, a narrow margin that uh, Hillary lost it. But uh, what Biden did was the 22,000 that uh, Hillary lost in uh, Wisconsin, for example, now Biden won by 22. So that was a swing of 44,000, you know? So uh, the key, though, is you got to be able to keep that. And if the uh, Democrats, now that they won the White House, if they don't get things done and don't show not the 70, full 71 million, but at least a, a substantial amount of those 71 million that they can govern for them and they're on their side, then we r- run the risk in four years of losing it again. So we have to seize, seize this opportunity and show why this administration was better than the one that it, that uh, it just that just left. Paul, you know Washington. You know the political figures. What are Republicans saying? They're not saying a whole lot. There's only a few that who have come out. Larry Hogan, our governor of Maryland, has said he congratulated the president-elect. He said it's time to move on. Dan Quayle has come out tonight. Former President George W. Bush has come out. Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, the normal Republicans, the people who used to be look by all stretch these are the conservatives who were the conservatives when conservatism actually meant something and these are the decent human beings that are coming out and saying not blowing up the deficit is that what you're talking about well okay i'll give you that one but still again these were my type of republicans not necessarily susan collins but look i i'm a middle of the road kind of guy i'm i'm a i'm a i'm a squishy moderate that loves compromise and would prefer the country to be run by technocrats with data and and lots of information where we'd take partisan politics out of it and we actually accomplish something on behalf of the American people. But I digress. 
Look, Paul, where are the Republicans? Is McConnell going to play this out until January the 5th? Is he posturing? Does he know that the end of the road is here for the, the president? Does he call up Biden and start to talk to him one-on-one without the president knowing? You know, I, I think that they want to uh, try, try not to do it uh, over over Trump until they can get him to, like, start acknowledging the reality of the situation, which may never happen, but they don't want to jump ahead too too fast. So, uh, and, and stuff that, that, like Lindsey Graham said, uh, that just makes it so much worse. So uh, there are some that are going to start coming out. You know, uh, Esper got fired today because he uh, got, I think what started was when he got offended that he was used as a as a prop when when Trump went out with the Bible that day. So ever since then, they weren't on on uh, good terms. But uh, I think you'll hear more and more. But think about it. All those ex uh, attorney generals, those ex uh, uh, national security advisors, those ex uh, medical experts, they all to, all together, every every grouping said they went for Biden over Trump. The only ones who stayed with Trump were those Republicans in Congress right now. Uh, everyone else went against him, and yet he still got 71 million. So they don't want to jump ahead of Trump too fast. So they're waiting. I think McConnell is a realist. I think eventually he's going to realize he's going to have to work with with Biden, start mending some of the fences, you know, do especially you, if he's not sure he's going to hold on to uh, Georgia. Do you see the Republicans just start coming out in droves to say, Mr. President, it's time to hang it up. This is embarrassing for our country. It's embarrassing for our for for the people of this country it's embarrassing us to the world at what point does he say all right this is it i i don't even know what terms he's going to go out on but look the longer that he refuses to concede the longer that he continues this narrative that somehow millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people were responsible for voter fraud these lawsuits are nonsensical i don't think they understand the civil rules of of federal proce- or the the federal rules of civil procedure, they know that if they file these erroneous lawsuits, that the lawyers themselves could be subject to sanctions, and they have Rudy Giuliani, who was once America's mayor, who has beclowned himself so badly that whenever his time ends on this earth, he will never be remembered for anything other than what he has done during the Trump administration and how he has responded to virtually everything in the last five years. Paul, I'm sorry. I'm still, I am, I am still in a mood that I feel, I don't want to say defeated, but it's just, I've exhaled somewhat and I think most of us have, but is it going to take the United States Secret Service dragging this guy out of the White House? Well, all right. Number one, it may not happen the way we expect that it should happen. And it may come to him having to be removed. I don't think it's going to come to that. What ordinarily happens, first of all, uh, you, you're thinking like uh, with Nixon, where Goldwater and uh, uh, was it Dirksen mm-hmm. went to visit him and explain, you're done. All right. And he went out. But you don't have that Republican Party uh, anymore. I mentioned that to uh, uh I was I was I think it was Schiff where I indicated like during some of these hearings 
that you don't have those Republicans anymore in this Congress. But in answer to your question, Republicans are only going to do that when they feel that staying with Trump is going to do more harm to their electability than cutting ties with him, as Ben Sass did. Ben Sass cut ties with him uh, a week or so ago. Ben Sass also voted for all Trump stuff like 99% of the time. <laughs> yeah, but he, right. he decided to cut ties now because he saw that it was he was he he would be brought under with him if he stayed with him. Uh, as far as Larry Hogan goes, though, that was a that was really embarrassing. Hogan clearly is planning on running for president in 2024. So he decided to distance himself, cut the ties with Trump. But he didn't want to align himself with the Democrat if he wants the Republican nomination. So instead, he embarrassed himself by saying he voted for Ronald Reagan. That was Give me a break. He should have just kept his mouth shut. He should have said, my decision on who I'm going to vote for is between me and my ballot. And I'm not going to discuss it. And he could have said, I'm not going to vote for either one, one of them. I, but saying that you're going to vote for Ronald Reagan, a president who's been dead for 15 years. It makes is you one, look like an idiot. It makes you not only look like a, a political neophyte, it was one of the single most pitiful and embarrassing moments for this governor. And he hasn't had many. I'll tell you that. He's been a pretty damn good across-the-board governor on, most, on, on things that I care about. And on this one, I thought, why would he do that? Because that's not going to buy him any love on either side. And it just was a strategically stupid move. And I wonder who would have advised him to do that and whoever it was maybe it was the governor who just said hey look i voted for ronald reagan That's what i think it was but you I know would... what do you really think he walked in there and voted for reagan come on no i i think he voted for biden i do too <laughs> i do but too he just couldn't admit to it so you know what keep your mouth shut you don't have to make yourself look like a fool and and i want to say this the governor is welcome to run for any office that he sees fit however the governor, when he ran in 2014, spent the better part of his campaign lamenting Governor Martin O'Malley for spending the latter half of his term, his second term in office, running for president. This governor, I know he's, I mean, he was on Jake Tapper's show yesterday. He was on around at 9.50, and I, I heard the interview in, on Sirius XM in the car. And he said, look, Jake, I'm not going to think about that because Jake Tapper did his due diligence as a reporter and, and journalist and asked him, are you thinking about running? And the governor deflected and said, there's so much to think about right now. People don't go to New Hampshire if they're not thinking about running for president. They don't take all the necessary. We know that he's thinking about running for president. We know that he probably will run for president. But in a Republican primary that is still going to be largely dominated, I believe, by the Trumpian mentality. If this guy is sectioned off somewhere, and I'm talking about Trump in Mar-a-Lago, he's the kingmaker, he, who knows what he's going to do, who knows what havoc he will wreak, do you really think that he's going to let loose of his grasp on those 70-plus million people? No. He's going to control them. He's already thinking about running for president in 2024, which might be the first stage in coming to the acceptance that he has lost the race. He just right. won't say it. But if right. he's already talking about 2024 
then what does that do? That boxes out Mike Pence, who wants to be president. And that and, does uh, not – yeah, well, look, it, it doesn't give Larry Hogan really, the opening. There's, there's many of them. And, uh, you know, I, he might definitely be planning on doing it. I don't know if he will. Uh, but that's possibly one of the reasons why they don't want to abandon him yet because in case he runs, they never expect him to win in 2016, and he did. So if he runs again in, in 2024, but a lot of it depends on how good a job uh, Biden does. And I expect him to do a really good job, uh, even with the resistance, the obstructionism from McConnell, if they uh, uh, hold on to the Senate. You know, I just want to point out, you mentioned that you thought that uh, Ossoff would lose to Purdue, but that, that Warnock has a chance. I looked at it reverse because uh, Warnock ran against two Republicans uh-huh. So if you add uh, Chris Collins, his 22% uh, percent to uh, Kelly Leffler's, her 26%, that's more than uh, Warnock's uh, ah, right. 32%. Kelly Leffler, who's a you joke. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, Leffler, she didn't even uh, – she w- she uh, took the slot from uh, Johnny Isaacson when he retired. So this is the first time she's actually running for it. And she's the one, just like uh, some, Purdue and some of the others – they, uh, they they benefited by inside information about the coronavirus. So I don't know how that's going to play. The other thing is that it looks like Georgia did go blue this time. There was a small amount, only like 10,000 votes, yeah. but it did go blue. Maybe they could pull that out. And I, I say that not, not as a Democrat, but just to get McConnell out of the picture and his obstructionism. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we get things done. Do people really want to see uh, the Supreme Court reformed? Well, it's not going to be reformed if uh, McConnell holds on to the Senate. You think you they know? would block Biden's nominee? You know, <laughs> it's anything is possible. You know, they could they they did it be, uh, when it was like uh, nine months before the election. And yet they blew uh, a Barrett's, uh, you know, nine days before the election. Uh, they blew it through. Uh, so who knows what they, they uh, could try to do. But again, uh, having two uh, people that defect versus four people is a big difference, it's twice as much. So it, he may have a more resistance from his own caucus to pull all this nonsense than he did before. You I, know? I, I, I'm distraught in a way that this was not a full-on repudiation, which leads me to believe what the hell did the Democrats miss out on in 2020, when we thought that their House majority, I thought at least that their House majority would increase, it did not. You so have did they. Uh, they did, and does that lead does that lead them to then switch it up? Should they switch leadership? Should Pelosi stay within the speakership? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so, because uh, she is good at what she does. Uh, this would be her last term. She's indicated that. Uh, so now that you finally have Trump out of there, see what you could do. Maybe she has to learn to compromise more with uh, McConnell to get certain things done. Uh, and maybe it'll be easier because she'll know that uh, Biden will, will sign it, uh, you know, if they can come to some kind of agreement. So I think she wants to see how this plays out uh, before she turns over the uh, the leadership to somebody else. So maybe ha- ha- that happening. Hakeem Jeffries. I love Hakeem Jeffries. He's from my old, he, he's the council, uh, the uh, representative from my old district in Brooklyn. So, uh, yeah, he's very good. Uh, I spoke to him uh, when uh, Barr was testifying. This is the last July 
and uh, he took my questions. I was really uh, had a nice exchange with him. These lawsuits, Paul, people want to know from your expertise in government for many, many years that the lawsuits being filed in the respective swing states where Biden won and the margins are 30,000 or 40,000. Is there any chance whatsoever that this president would have any legal victories that would offset the Biden's win? None, none whatsoever, because they're, they're basing their lawsuits on concept. They're saying, well, if you vote by mail, then uh, China could be sending in these these ballots. Didn't Trump well, vote no by mail? There's no evidence of anything like that. I, I, got, I voted by mail. Mm-hmm. I filled it out. I followed the instructions. I dropped it in the, the drop box. And then it's counted. It goes through a machine to be counted. Just like if I walked up. I was a uh, an election judge uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the same process, you, except that instead of uh, doing it in person where you drop it in the slot, you 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 drop it in the slot outside the building instead of inside the building. But it basically works the same and it counts the same. They haven't been able to come up with any evidence of, uh, of, of fraud, number one. But even with the recounts, when you have like a 20,000 or more, you, when you do a recount, you're going to find that there's 100 there, 200 that maybe are questionable that you, you change. Uh, Al... Al Franken had to go through recount and it was kept on switching because they were talking about 30 votes here, 30 votes there. When you're talking about having to undo 20,000, a recount is not going to do anything. So the answer is there's no chance. Let me bring you back to uh, Trump University. What Trump does is the first thing he does is he sues. And then he said, I'm never going to settle. I don't settle. And what did he do? He settled. So when they, when his, his counterparts, his, his Republican sycophants, uh, come to him and explain how he could leave graciously and not look like a loser. Then they'll escort him out before the Secret Service has to come. But that's what it's going to take. There's no way that the courts are going to rule. The Supreme Court is not even going to take that case. Most of the lower courts are not going to take that case unless the complainants could prove, could show some irregularities, which they were not able to, you know. They talk about conceptual, but they don't talk about specific evidence because they don't have any. So I don't think that has any chance in hell. So we go from here where Biden sets up his cabinet. He begins to make all the necessary transition moves. However, they are still stuck in limbo because, as I have read today, there's a official trigger which they have to the language is ascertain that he has that he is now the president elect where the government that lost has to accept this concept that they have lost and the person with the keys to the transition they're not budging there's reports out that Trump's people inside of the federal government are telling anyone who is looking for another job that they will be fired so does this process get stymied? Is it going to be held up? And what does that say about our country? We're, they're, they're literally holding us hostage. A, a couple of things. First of all, I don't understand that woman in charge of GSA. She's going to be out of a job in two months. Yeah. So for her not to do the right thing because she thinks that she's going to get fired makes no sense when she's only going to have the job for two more months. But that's why, again, it was so important that Joe Biden and not any of the other ones running 
get the uh, nomination and uh, and and then win the election because he's the only one who could go in there. Has he'll already have all of his staff, and his staff will not need uh, to be updated by the Trump staff the way other presidents who come in new, like uh, Barack Obama, who came in new, and that's why he picked Biden as his vice president because Vi- Biden knew all the ropes and he knows all the ropes now. So that's number one. It's not the the damage that this woman and the Trump and Trump is doing, uh, as far as the transition goes, will be less impactful. It'll still be impactful, but less impactful on a Trump group coming in than on a Pete Buttigieg or a Kamala Harris or any other one coming in. Even Elizabeth Warren coming in. Even Bernie Sanders coming in. So uh, that's why it's important that that Trump got it. But uh, I don't understand why they're ho- hanging on. It, uh, you know. Trump uh, issued an executive order just like two weeks ago. All right. And I don't know what he was thinking because I, I, that seemed like the craziest thing he ever did. That executive order did two things. It allowed political appointees to stay in their jobs after he leaves. Yeah. Which is not, there's no way that can happen because the new guy who comes in is going to say, you're out of here. Because there's only executive order. But uh, number two, the other thing it had in the executive order was that a new a, a new category where he uh, Trump would be able to move career federal employees into this new category, which would make it easier for him to fire them. So he's he's cleaning house. He's got two months to go and he's, he wants to give himself the opportunity to clean house. He already fired Esper today. I mean, it's unbelievable. But why these these uh, federal employees who are going to be gone, these actually these federal, uh, these political appointees who are going to be gone in two months are trying to still be in good graces with this guy, Trump, who's going to be gone in two months is beyond me. Does he fire opportunity? Do the right thing. Do the the right thing. You know, does the president above right high held high? Does the president fire anybody else? Well, he's talking about all the people who didn't uh, weren't loyal to him. They decided to be loyal to the country, so they weren't loyal to him, like Christopher Ray. I hope that Christopher Ray, uh, if he gets fired, that Biden brings him back because he put country first. And I don't care, Republican or Democrat, he put country first. Yeah. So I have a lot of respect for Christopher Ray. You, you, know? you know who I never hope to see again is Rod Rosenstein. Well, you haven't since no. he left. You uh, haven't. Do you think? Uh, what, what about uh, Miller, Stephen Miller? That's uh, another one that I can't wait to see go. Uh, just evil. Evil. And I, I hate using that word sometimes, but let's call it what it is. This guy is pure evil. He gives me the creeps when he's around. I feel like that there is just some really horrible vibe around this guy. And I, I, I'm just so tormented Paul by well, that's another thing you know about uh, that 71 million is that uh, I'll ask people who, you know people who are going to vote for Trump who are not uh, the ones that go to rallies but had other reasons why they vote for Trump I say I, I personally have the most beautiful grandchildren in the world yeah. I'm not shy to say that and I and they have grandchildren or children and I say can you imagine if so-and-so little so-and-so was separated from you. Mm. 
And that's the difference between someone with decency and someone without decency. And we and if you voted for Trump, you voted for someone without decency because, you know, they talk about Obama being the deporter in chief. Well, he did deport a lot, but they were all people who were uh, serious crimes who left and the kids had to be separated, stay behind. What Trump did is with the zero tolerance policy, he made this, the uh, misdemeanor infractions of just crossing over a, a, a violation where those parents with and those were the ones with their kids, not the coyotes. They, these were the ones with their kids and they were separated. And that is indecent to me. And that is at the top of my list why I, I would never have voted for Trump, no matter what he did with your 401k. All right. Or your tax break if you're one of those ones making more than four hundred million dollars or whatever the hell you make, you know. Well, I am. I'm happy that we know that Joe Biden's going to be the president come January the twentieth, and I have no doubt that Joe Biden will be the same man that he is on January twenty first than he was five, ten, fifteen years ago. Joe Biden is a fundamentally decent man. You can disagree with him on politics, and there are some policies that I disagree with him on, but he is he's a human being with flaws just like all of us. And I and I watched I watch a lot of YouTube videos late at night when I'm laying in bed. And I watched a clip last night of Joe Biden on the view, I think a few years ago. And it was right around the time that John McCain was diagnosed with the, the neoblastoma and Megan McCain his daughter is on the view and you just see a man that is not the former vice president of the United States but a friend who to John McCain who gets up and sits beside her and comforts her and none of that was for show and you can tell how much he loved Bo how much he loves Hunter I think the attacks on Hunter Biden are disgraceful disgraceful and is Hunter Biden perfect? No. Did he really, did Joe Biden want to have that hanging around? I'm sure he didn't. It isn't, but people are people. And I'm sorry that Donald Trump, there's no decency. This is a deeply broken human being. Right. This is someone who is so psychologically broken. And for whatever reason, his supporters, they stick behind him. And this will be a case study in American politics that we will study long past the time that you and I are gone and we are just a speck of of dust. And I am I'm just distraught that this country still failed to repudiate what he stands for. But I do believe that there is hope and I am hoping I am seriously hoping that we just ignore this guy. He's going to make noise, and we just look at him and say, shut up. Just shut up. You're not relevant anymore, and we don't kiss the ring, and we just ignore him. There's going to be a time where we're not going to have to pay attention to him any longer, and he's just I going to— Part of the reason why he uh, lost also is fatigue, exactly what you're saying. A lot of those 76 million just had enough. I mean, I myself covering him, oh. I, I had to turn him off just recently. I couldn't stand listening to that voice and the bullshit that comes out of yeah. his mouth. Yeah. So the question of fatigue also. But also, you know, I think this election, as I said, it was about democracy, about the Constitution, about uh, 
the rule of law, but it was about decency. It was about integrity. It was about experience. You know, uh, you mentioned about uh, Biden. I suffered the worst thing anyone could ever suffer, which was the loss of a child. Okay, and thinking of Biden have gone through what he went through at 29 years old, losing the wife, the daughter, the little cute daughter that they showed a picture of, and having two boys severely damaged. And then 40 years later, to lose a son on top of that. And for this man to still put his country in importance so high on his agenda that he ran and is going to do everything for the country that he could do. It's not for Joe Biden. He doesn't need this, all right? But he's doing because he felt obligated, especially after seeing how Trump treated his country. That's why Biden ran. And I have so much respect for Biden. I am so glad that he won. I just can't even put it into words, you know? So uh, it, it, as far as you're concerned, is, uh, just remember that 76 million people voted for Biden. And that is a good starting point. Yeah. How we get the 71 million to understand why the 76 voted for Biden, that's a challenge that we have before us. But it's a hell of a lot better to do it after four years than to try to do it after eight years. And I want to point out the coalition that Joe Biden has built. Think about this. In places, in big, in major cities and even in rural areas, the African-American community, the black community, black women. We can thank black women in Philadelphia and Detroit and all over the place. We can thank we can thank the LGBTQ community. We can thank immigrants. We can thank the suburban mothers who believe in education. We can thank the suburban men like myself who in another lifetime would have probably been a middle of the road Republican who said this is unconscionable. The damage that he has done and we can thank millions of Americans who may not have agreed with Joe Biden's policies that he has championed, but said the difference is decency versus corruption versus everything that we teach our children not to be. Joe Biden is everything that I want my kids to grow up to be. Barack Obama is exactly who I want my kids to replicate. Michelle Obama, J Dr. Jill Biden, these are people that we can look up to. And it doesn't matter what their politics are. It matters if they have the character. And as Joe Biden said continuously, this is about the soul of the nation. And if we allow Donald Trump to remain in office, what does that say about our country? And thank God we made the decision that we did. Donald Trump will go down as an asterisk in history as one of the worst presidents ever. And not one of what, the, the, worst the worst president, even ever. more so than um, who was the guy before Lincoln that pretty much allowed the Civil War to descend. I mean, um, oh, what was um, Buchanan. Was that Buchanan? Yeah, J James Buchanan from, ironically enough, Pennsylvania. <laughs> from Pennsylvania. So I, I think that whatever happens to Trump, I think that he's going to become a criminal defendant. There's going to be umpteen investigations into this guy. He has he knows it's coming. He knows that the Southern District of New York is just eyeing him up, his corrupt family, his awful children. And you know who I'm sad for is Barron. What chance did that kid have? 
Well, I, I and I and I'm sad for him. He'll have some money to get through his problems, but yeah, uh, I, I I agree. Does that, Melania uh, stay, or does she get out? Oh, I think she's probably filed the papers already. I'm sure that she's thinking, Donald, it's time to go, and I'm out of here. I'm sure the prenup was rewritten, and if I were her, she was, she was in Florida while he was on the golf cart. Uh, course while uh, uh, Biden was de- declared the winner, so she wasn't she wasn't giving him solace. Uh, she was in in Florida while he was on the golf course. Well, and think about it, <laughs> using the White House for the RNC convention, which is a it's a violation of federal law. Everything about this guy the last four years, and what still distresses me is that his supporters don't they ignore it or they just don't care. But if Biden did any of this, if Obama did even a tenth of what this guy could, has done in office, you know where that conversation would lead. But, Paul, you, you give me hope when, <laughs> when, uh, when hope is, is, is missing. I, I am ecstatic that this president is, is leaving office, whether they drag him out kicking and screaming or that he hands over the proverbial keys to the White House and exits and... Who knows what ha- happens then? But this is not going to be cinematic. This is not going to be ceremonial. Nothing that we see. There's going to be no limo ride up to the Capitol on the 20th when they pull out at you know 11:30 and and the wives meet and shake hands. None of that will happen, and it doesn't quite frankly need to happen. We need just to see Joe Biden being sworn in by John Roberts at 12 p.m. on January the 20th. And the country needs to put this behind us and say, we tried it, it failed, it didn't work, and that's it. Donald Trump can relegate himself to Mar-a-Lago and hold his parties and weddings, and he can make his casual appearances or start his own media outlet. But we will forever remember the damage that he has done, and history will be written on the damage that has been done. And I will, I, I can never forgive him for what he has done to this country. And maybe that's just me being angry right now. And I need some time to cool off because I love this country so much. You love this country. Our, my grandfathers fought for this country, wore our nation's uniform, went to wars to save the soul of this nation, to, to defeat totalitarianism, to defeat Nazis, has horror stories. My granddad is still alive at 95 years old and still has difficulty explaining what he saw in his lifetime and i think that we have come so far and made so much progress and we cannot allow this ever again to happen and that's you know, on us start reclaiming things like our, our uh, status on the world stage as far as foreign policy i tell you as happy as many americans are yeah. dancing the street they were dancing the street in london as well and in and paris and in uh, uh in, in germany uh, so we have to, this, this is so critical. So as frustrated as you might be right now with the, the way the vote went with uh, so many Trumpsters, keep in mind this interview that we just did, yeah. what it would have been like if the, the 76 million went to Trump and the 71 million went to, uh, uh, to Biden. So we have to be grateful for that. The one thing I will tell you, as far as uh, Trump goes, what he should do is really uh, be proud of the fact that after four years, think about this, he finally has amassed a greater popular vote than Hillary. 
well, I guess that's one that's one little nugget for him to <laughs> hold on to and I'm sure that there's there's not much going on right now upstairs in his head. But before we go, I want you to plug that book that I see oh, right yeah. behind. Yeah, for those who uh, haven't bought it yet, yeah. uh, Trump the Shell Game, The Conning of America, it's available on Barnes & Noble, it's available on Amazon, on, uh, I wrote it down here, on iTunes, and on Google Play. So, well, if you want to hear more, if you want to hear more about what I have to say, it's all in this book. Please buy Paul's book, because you're going to... I have so many Trump books. I can guarantee you from the sales, there are plenty of books uh, available. Okay. Well, it's it would be a great holiday gift for anyone who celebrates Hanukkah or Christmas, uh, or you have a birthday coming up. Wink, wink to my wife, who's probably watching, and my birthday's this Sunday. You can buy me Paul's book, but... Paul, I want to say thank you again. I want I want to come back after the inauguration because in two months, there's going to be a lot that has occurred in this country. So I want to learn a little bit. I want to break it down again. And I'd love to continue this to be a routine segment on this podcast. I think people really appreciate your input. I, I know I do. I learn a lot from you and your insight. You have uh, years of experience. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm very grateful that you, you have come on and, and, talked about i mean it just this election feels like man it's just been going on for so long i'm ready to to turn the page and get started on a new chapter in american history and And, ryan i want to thank you because this gives me an opportunity to get all of this out yeah uh, it's therapy it's therapy (laughs) because you and i are both political junkies so we uh we appreciate that so Paul Schwartz, he's a columnist. Uh, he's a local guy here in Montgomery County. He covers the White House. Paul, do you think you'll be covering a Biden administration? Yes, I, I hope so. I haven't been going down because of the the virus, yeah. the, uh, COVID, uh, but I hope to be able to restart that and get, uh, go down yeah. more often. Good. Yeah. That'll be great. And we'll have you on uh, more often then because we can talk about what's happening and you can pick up on what's happening in the press room. And I just want to say this, I am confident as someone who does media that perhaps the media will be treated a lot better by a president Biden and a vice president Kamala Harris than they were under this Trump administration. They really did damage to the media and how they treated honest to God, fundamentally decent journalists who were there to do their jobs. And that was that always stuck in my crawl too about how poor- you know there's always a contentious relationship between the the press and, and the and the White House, but it, it didn't have to become so personal. You know, uh, the enemy of the state and all that uh, nonsense and fake news that was really taking it beyond the the, the, the uh, where it should have been. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So yeah. hopefully that'll uh, change as well. All right. Well, Paul Schwartz, a columnist for the Sentinel. He is an extraordinary 30-year-plus employee of the federal government. A lot of experience here. So, Paul, thanks for coming on to the podcast tonight. Pleasure to have you. I love your insight. And let's talk again soon, my friend. Definitely. We'll put it on the calendar. All right. Take care. Thank you, Paul. All right. Good show. Again, I am feeling, feeling happy. I'm feeling that we accomplished something magnanimous in this country. A part of me feels that it's just it's not fully real yet and maybe that i feel that way because this guy that we have in the oval office now hasn't followed the constitutional norms that is sacred in this country they are sacred the peaceful transition of power 
accepting your defeat when you lose, turning the federal government transition process over to into the incoming administration's transition team. These are sacred American traditions that we cannot lose and that cannot be compromised by one person who is an egomaniac. These are our American institutions at stake, and, and that's why you see me so pissed off, because it's not supposed to be like this. This is not normal. And I watch this in horror. And I watch these supporters of his pump out this information that is false, nonsensical. People I know, family members of mine, and I love them dearly. How in the hell did we get to this point in our country? How in the hell did we lose the ability to reason, to use logic, that not everything is defined by who we voted for? And the thing is, is that I'm not ready yet to say, I, you know what, I forgive you. Let's, in the name of unity, shake hands. They have done so much goddamn damage to this country. They have done so much damage to our institutions that make this country exceptional. And I am not ready to say you're forgiven. These people who worked in the White House should never work in government again I don't care where they're hired out in the private sector, but they should never make decisions for us again as an American people. Never. These people are morally bankrupt. They are indecent. They are third-rate hacks. They have no business running our government ever again. This moment should be a wake-up call. And as we watch this in real time, this president sputtering, fledgling, out of control, whose ego, we're, we care, I don't give a shit about his ego, about his feelings. And I hear, I listen to Rick Santorum on CNN saying, we got to give the president a moment. You know what? Fuck that. Fuck that. This guy has damaged this country so badly, and we give a shit about his feelings. This is a new country. On January the 20th, we have new leadership, and it is time to move forward. And it is time for him and the rest of his disgusting cabal of people to step down and say we have lost and admit it and move on and let us as a country heal beyond this, this damage that my kids are watching, my children, your kids. This is not normal. And I'm angry. I'm just, I'm angry because I'm done with it all. Thank God Joe Biden won. And I don't, I hate, I hate feeling like this. I hate this. It's like I've been on edge for the last four years. By no means should you look to me and say, hey, you know what? You're, oh, well, you know, you preach decency and everything. You're right. You're right. Me cursing and getting upset. It's probably not the best thing. And and I, I wouldn't want my kids to see that. But I got to tell you, enough. We've been through a lot. And this president, this hack-eyed joke of a clown, needs to accept the defeat and move the hell on. Because we are the reasonable people in this country. We. Not these people pushing conspiracy. Not these people out here on Twitter or Facebook or any other media outlet saying that they were reversing the calls of Pennsylvania and this. They are grasping for straws. It is embarrassing. You are embarrassing yourself. A minor detail podcast. 
and a minor detail.com, which I encourage you to follow, is going to highlight this every step of the way. And we are not going to relent. We're calling these people to the carpet. Lies. That is the job of journalists is to call people out, is to hold people to account, especially in power, and to call a spade for a spade. And that's what I'm going to do with this media outlet. Sorry to get upset, but I am ready to move forward. And I am, I am, it sickens me to see this country right now. My grandfathers, they wore the uniform for this country. They went to war. My grandfathers, 95 years old, went to war for this country. And this is what it is right now. People disrespecting our, our sacred institutions. It's not right. It's not right. Joe Biden won. <laughs> that's the best we can ask for. But that's as good as it's going to get right now. And I'm excited to see that we finally elected a woman, a person of color, a female person of color to the second highest office in the United States of America. And we'll end on that high note. Have a good night, everybody.